Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few who got out and all the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, LA-based former radio DJ and music director, Chris Brooker. As a former program director for several stations all across the Midwest, Chris became an expert at finding new artists and sharing them with the world. If you're wondering, he will judge you on your favorite band. I have some questions. Chris is also an avid comic book fan, loves all things Marvel and DC. What? That's a conflict. And will gladly tell you his thoughts on each of their new projects. That said, I better know Chris from his lovely podcast and also from meeting him right now in real time with all of y'all. So Chris, are you still working in music? Can you tell us any artists that you discovered that we may know? What is your oh favorite comic book and or favorite band? You got to tell us everything. Tell us, tell us. Oh, wow. Wow. So much, so much information, so much information to share. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, Chris. Okay, let's let, let's begin. Favorite comic book movie? Is that mm-hmm. what you asked? Yes. Comic book movie. Well, as far as the movies are concerned, I you know I like everything that Marvel has done. I think Marvel is uh, has has done a great job. You know, with the whole Infinity War, Endgame. You know, that whole that whole arc I thought was great. That being said, as far as comic books are concerned, I've always been a DC guy. I've always liked DC uh, on the page more so than Marvel. I'm not sure why I just grew up, you know, reading Superman, Batman. My favorite is Green Lantern. I love Green Lan- Green Lantern. And, um, I'm going to give Ryan Reynolds a pass for the, uh, abysmal Green Lantern movie that came out years ago, but I still have high hopes. I still have high hopes for a good, uh, film representation of that. You didn't like his performance or you just didn't like the film itself. Oh, the movie was terrible. His performance <laughs> was fine. It was exactly what it was. It's what I expected, but the movie itself was it just it seemed like there's just too many people uh, calling too many shots, you know, in the uh, behind the scenes. I get that. OK. And uh, in the same lane of what's your favorite? What is, who's your favorite band? Uh, my favorite. Uh, there's so many. Uh, I don't have a specific favorite necessarily. I think right now I'm really enjoying the Nationals new album. First two pages of Frankenstein. Um, excellent stuff. Um, one of my all time go to favorites is Mike Doty, who is. He's the former lead singer of the 90s band Soul Coughing. You may have heard of. Maybe not. I don't I, know. Uh, it, it, he's been solo now for many, many years, and he's just very prolific in his music and keeps putting stuff out. Uh, Heather and I have seen him multiple times out here in L.A., and he's just a great artist. I highly recommend Mike Doty. Okay. It sounds like you're... I'm, rock isn't really my my lane, so I don't know a ton oh. of... Is And this is like, would he be considered alternative rock or no? Yeah, indie alternative. Indie alternative. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, you're more Stevie Wonder, right? Yeah, I am. Thanks for knowing that. He's going to be my, yeah. my husband someday. <laughs> yeah, that's the goal. Um, okay, and so uh, are you still working in music? I'm not, actually. Not? I okay. took a detour. Not a detour, an actual just I stopped doing radio uh, back around uh, 99, 2000. Okay. So and it's been a couple of decades since I've been officially behind a, a like a DJ mic. Do you miss that? A little bit, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool job. You know, being a radio DJ is fun. Uh, Where else do you get to just sit in a room all day and play music and talk about it and, you know, talk to people and interact with people on that level. Um, But uh, yeah, I do miss it sometimes, but I also really like what I'm doing now. So, and you have, are you responsible for any of the artists we may know that you, because you were discovering artists for a while, right? 
I well, I wasn't necessarily discovering them. Well, I was discovering them and putting them on the air. I was I, I had no like I, I wasn't involved in the process of signing bands or anything else like that. But I would see a new artist or hear a new artist and I would play them on the air sometimes before a lot of other people would. Um, are you familiar with the artist, Ani DeFranco? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't want to say I discovered her, but I feel like I did. Uh, I'll give you credit. Uh, back, back in the nineties, I was the, I was one of the first uh, DJs in Oklahoma to play her on, on the radio and, and develop a following in Oklahoma because of that. So. Wow, it's such a it's an interesting I mean, now I know the landscape has changed, but as a DJ, you had a lot of oh. power to really like shine light on people that wouldn't necessarily have any, you know, attention normal. You know, it's interesting you say that. You yeah, you feel like you have a lot of power. And I guess in the smaller independent stations, which I was lucky enough to work in when I first started, I did have some say in what went on the air. But as you get up in power, as you become music director, program director, and especially if you get higher in the corporate chain. Uh, you actually have less power because you have to you have to respond to consultants. You have to do what the consultants tell you to play. But one of the reasons why I actually stopped doing radio is I realized I don't have as much power as I want. I don't have the the, the freedom to play whoever I want. Now, granted, at the time I was working at a top 40 station, but I was behoven to um, consultants that lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was in Kansas at the time, and they were in Atlanta. They were telling me what I could and couldn't play on this radio station because it fell into their mold of what that station in their chain of stations could play. That's and wild. I, like, I didn't know that. It's ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And uh, But, you know, I, I had to jump through the hoops to do what I could do. And, uh, I mean, I snuck in a few gems every now and again. But uh, for the most part, yeah, I was behoven to the powers of that be. Yeah. And do you, so what do you do now? Uh, right now I'm a financial consultant. I did a complete 180, you know, from, from radio and music and stuff like that. Uh, I went back to work, I got my MBA and I've been consulting now in finance for over 10 years, uh, working in finance for close to 20. Wow. And do you, you enjoy it? I do. I do. It's fun. I really like consulting because it's more of a, you know, speaking of customer service jobs, I consider consulting to be just a great customer service job. You go in, to a client, you fix what's wrong, and hopefully you leave that place better than when you came in. So do you go into like a bank or financial institution and kind of do a, like a deep dive in what they have going on and give them advice on how to fix it? Or are you dealing with clients individually? Um, I, I work for a company that places me with clients. Oh, so okay. a company that says, hey, uh, our director just quit. You know, can we have someone come in and take over the job for a while until we find, you know, someone to come in permanently or we need an extra head here to help with our month end reporting or, or something like that. So I come in and I help streamline their processes. I help clean things up. Um, and like I said, hopefully make that atmosphere better than when I came into it. So you have a podcast with your lovely wife who has been a guest uh, yes. on our show. Uh, and yeah. so can yep. you tell us about that podcast? The Brooker Family Popcast. I am one third of the co-hosting powerhouse of the Brooker Family Popcast. And, you know, basically what we are is we're just a family pop culture podcast. Uh, we, we love pop culture. We love movies, TV, music, events that we go to. We're very blessed to be out here in L.A. We get to go to all these events, red carpet events, festivals, things like that. And we like going to them. And we realized long ago that some of the best conversations we have as a family are in the car coming back from a movie that we all loved or coming back from a movie we all hated. Sure. <laughs> and we just talk about it. You know, we talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. Uh, we make each other laugh. We will disagree with each other and, you know, argue, you know, not 
you know, vehemently, but, you know, we'll argue and, you know, just have that conversation that's so fulfilling to us as a family. And we decided we'd like to share it. It's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite times when we get to go into the studio and record. And I, uh, we've clarified this with Heather, but I just want to make sure I clarify it now. It is a family friendly, not cursing, like you could turn it on in the car kind of podcast. Exactly. It's, it's, it's good for the whole family. It's good for the little ones. It's good for grandma and grandpa. It's good for, (laughs) you know, if you just want to kill 30 minutes listening to, uh, you know, a family talk about the Marvel universe. Okay. That's us. Okay. And, uh, well, we're going to get onto your customer service jobs, but you're not originally from LA. So what brought you out to LA? Was it the radio job or was it something else? No, my wife wanted to be an actor. Oh boy. We ruin everything, don't we? Oh, that's what happens. Sorry, well, Chris. <laughs> it's all your fault. Yeah. Uh, no, no, we were, we were married in Tulsa and we didn't have any kids yet. We had a cat and a dog and my wife had recently rediscovered her love of acting through community theater and things like that. And she was like, I, you know, I think I want to try this. Her original like goal going to college, she had a theater scholarship. So she loved acting and she loved that whole thing. And she fell away from it to go on to the journalism side of things for a while. And then she rediscovered her love for it and said, I want to give it a try. Do you think we can, you know, go out to California? And I was like, okay, I had just gotten my MBA. You know, we were still young. Like I said, no kids, pretty much unattached. And so we moved out here. We did the whole Grapes of Wrath thing and, you know, piled everything in the car and headed on out. And uh, it's been here ever since. And that was back in 2005. Wow. I love it. And I love that you got the Grapes of Wrath reference in there. That's impressive. You are. (laughs) You do have your MBA. Big flex, Chris. Okay. That's what I try. Okay, folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to go on to the entrees after a quick break. We're back. And now it is time for the entrees. Okay, Chris. Well, you know how this works. Uh, It's usually the same set of questions. This is where we get into all of the jobs uh, that you have done where you've had to interface with other humans. First question we always start with, what was your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out? So you can say babysitting, you can say whatever. But if if you can Uh, remember like grocery store or whatever the hell. Well, my first job ever was I, I was a paper boy. I delivered papers in my neighborhood back home. I don't think I don't think I was taxed because I collected cash every month and it just went into my pocket and I paid the newspaper back, whatever. But um, I kept that job. Oh, my gosh. Like through junior high, high school and a little bit in college because it was an extra three or four hundred bucks a month, you know, that I was just pocketing. And I was like, why not? It's an hour a day or whatever. On Sundays, I had to get up early. That was the big sacrifice. But uh so I did that. I did that for a long time. And it was a it was a fun experience. Were you, but you would have to do that like seven days a week. So you would also be in school or were you just the weekend paper person? No, I was it was six days a week. I don't think they delivered on Saturdays, but um, six days a week. And, you know, so Monday through Friday and then Sunday mornings, I had to deliver the Sunday morning paper. So you would get up before school and do this? Yeah. Well, Sundays, I, I, I would get up Sunday mornings, but on the school days, the papers had to be out by like four. In the afternoon. Oh, so you could do it but after school. Come in the afternoon, and I would do it after school. Yeah. Oh, you're the first paper person we've had on that has been able to do it after school. So you weren't playing sports yeah. then in school. Uh, I was. I was. So that was a tough balancing act. I would have to either crank out the paper out real quick or, or deliver the papers a little late. Isn't it wild when we were kids, like the energy we had to just cram so oh. much into a crisp 24? We were so eager to be alive. How, how? You think about it now and it's like, that is impossible. 
It's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting. I could never do that now. So it was an extra you have to deal with the people and I couldn't do that now either. So. Yeah, no, thanks. So what <laughs> was it a handoff job? Because often we find that paper people get that like, hey, my buddy's done with this route. Do you want it kind of thing? How'd you find out about it? Exactly that. Uh, my buddy and his brother uh, did the paper routes in our neighborhood. Uh, my friend did did the one on the right side and my um, his brother did the one on the left side and his brother quit. And so I got the one on the left side and I took that over and then I handed it down to my sister uh, who did it for a little while. And I don't know where it's gone since. <laughs> you should search that out and, and offer. Um, okay. <laughs> so that was your first job. So you had that through, were you doing that simultaneously with other jobs into college or was that your mainstay until you got like further into college? Oh, I did it. I did it with other jobs too. My first actual paying tax job was at a company called Oberlin Color Press. And it was just a printing press company. They, they printed like Rolling Stone and Spin Magazine and a bunch of others. And my job with a few other people was to stand all day long and stuff envelopes. Eight hours a day, stuffing envelopes. No, no. But they paid really well. They paid really well. It was like double or double and a half of what the minimum wage was at the time. So I thought I was making bank. And um, yeah, I would stand on this, these little padded mats so our feet wouldn't you know, fall off during the shift. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we stuffed envelopes. I have to know, I've, I've always wondered this with fast food workers, same question. The monotony of that, didn't that oh, make wow. you insane? It did, but there were like four or five of us at a time working simultaneously around the same table. So we were all bored and going crazy together. So we all just <laughs> kept each other entertained. So would you would you be allowed to, you know, you'd be allowed to talk to the other people? It wasn't like they were oh, like yeah. heads down, get your shit together. It was you. No, no, no. We could we could talk to each other and, you know, make fun of people and, you know, shoot the shit all day long. Oh, and that's that's, that's ultimately was the saving grace of that whole experience was I was able to talk to people and get things going. I didn't have that job for very long, maybe, you know, less than a year, I think. But um, it uh, was uh, it was a good summertime, you know, fall gig, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, you you have the right attitude. I don't, I just don't know that I could. Was that something you found out about, like, because a friend told you, or how did you find out about that job? I think a friend of mine's mom worked at Oberlin Color Press, and she's like, and I mentioned something to the fact of I needed money or whatever, and she goes, "Hey, we're hiring in the warehouse. Why don't you come by and?" And I'll hook you up or or something. And I was like, okay, I'll stuff envelopes. See, this is when I get annoyed when people in the Midwest are like, oh, in New York and, and California, you have to know somebody to get whatever. It's like the Midwest is a place where you got to know some people that know some people too. It's just for a different route in. But all of the right. ways I was hooked up in the Midwest was because I knew somebody that had somebody, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, it's that's entertaining. Yeah, yeah. That's not exclusive to the coasts. I think we get a bad rap for that. Uh, you okay. got to build that network early. Right? Yeah, you do. <laughs> Start when you're 12 in the Midwest. Good. <laughs> okay, so how many customer service jobs, customer service jobs, have you had total? Would you say? Uh, okay, so let's see. I think from there, I'm just trying to remember right now. I worked at a gas station, gas oh. station slash convenience store. Okay. I did a movie theater. Okay, uh, wait. For many years, movie theater. Let's see, movie theater, gas station. And then I did radio. Then yeah, from there, I worked at a call center for a little bit. Um, oh, I worked at a pizza place for okay. a little bit for like a week. I briefly entertained the idea of working for Walmart. Oh. Um, but that fell through um, because my schedule was too busy. I couldn't fit with wouldn't fit with their schedule, so mm. they didn't hire me. <laughs> So, yeah, I think that's about it. Okay, so we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm still counting the pizza place. Why did you only work there for a week? <laughs> because it was horrible. Uh, I think I, I think the day they made me 
clean the legs of all the chairs in the dining room right before a dinner service. And I had to hurry to do it. I was like, nah. Okay, it. I'll do it, but then I'm but then I'm out. The free pizza isn't worth it. And that's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to work there is I wanted the pizza. But um all, it's all about the perks. So so the chair or the legs on the chair cleaning, well, that was it. That was the straw that broke that camel's back. You would be surprised how dirty legs on a chair can get. Really? It, it was it was because I had to flip the I had to take the chairs out into the parking lot by the trash cans, clean the chairs, and then bring them back in. And then I was just like, I'm, I'm kind of done. I don't want to be here anymore. What was the job you were hired to do there? I thought I was originally going to be making the pizzas and helping customers at the register. And that was part of it. You know, that was part of it. But, you know, in those kind of places, you hire the employees. They do everything. You're cleaning the pizza oven. You're cleaning, you know, the grease traps. You're cleaning whatever. Yeah. Uh, and like, that's what I had to do. Ugh, that's brutal. Yeah, I don't know that I would have lasted yeah. very long with that too. Um, okay, I I want to hyperfixate on the gas station, the movie theater, but I'm going to go to the call center first. So, what right. were you selling, or were you answering calls? Well, it was uh, it was a call center at MCI, which was then WorldCom. And if you remember what WorldCom was, it was a giant. Well, it was a company that filed one of the largest corporate bankruptcies in American history, forever changed the corporate world and everything else like that. Oh, I'm embarrassed. I, I don't know what that's. Yeah. I did. I've never heard of it. Say the name again. WorldCom. WorldCom. I gotta WorldCom. look this up. It then merged with MCI, and I think now they're Verizon Wireless or, or something like that. But Probably. back then, it was WorldCom, and I worked in their priority customer service department. So basically, corporate customers that were trying to set up major uh, DS1 lines and phone lines to, to move their data and stuff like that would try to get their line set up, they would call us and we would try to navigate and, you know, set up the appointments and stuff like that. And it wasn't that bad because the customers were corporate customers, they were clients, they weren't like, you know, Joe Schmo calling, complaining about his phone service or anything else like that. So that was that. And I did that for about a year until I got my radio gig up in Kansas. And did you go to school for broadcasting? Is that how you sort of got into that world? I did. I, yeah, I went to school for broadcasting. I actually started in theater, um, working behind the scenes. I was building sets and painting and stuff like that. And I realized I kind of wanted to do something else um, because at, at that time I was also working at the movie theater. Uh, in my town. And I realized, I think I might want to work in film. You know, everyone who works at a movie theater wants to work in film, wants to work in the movies. It just goes with the territory. And so I talked to the guidance counselor or whatever at the college. And she was like, well, you, we don't have a cinema department, but you may try the journalism department. So I, I went over to journalism and I went the radio route. My wife went TV. She's got a face for TV. I've got a face for radio. So <laughs> I went, I went in that direction. Okay. And so you were, so at the movie theater was the attraction to it was you liked movies, you were in theater, you were like, I, I want to be in this zone. So I'm going to choose that job. Or was it just a job oh, that was available? Well, the job, well, A, the job was available and it fit with kind of what I wanted to do. It ended up being a great job. I was at the movie theater for like five or six years, I think. Okay. It was a long-term, uh, long-term customer service job. Yeah. What did you love about it? Just the free movies and the access to the popcorn or what was <laughs> To this day, I can't eat popcorn m for multiple reasons. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you can get specific. What, do we need to know something about movie theater popcorn? Um, I, I, I won't eat it anymore. Uh, and it's not always fresh. Let's put it that way. No, wait, wait, okay. So I know that it goes in a trash bag at the end of the night. I know that, it but does. it's a clean trash bag, right? Yep. Okay. But sometimes that trash bag sticks around for two or three days. So you could be eating three day old popcorn that's put back. At least it was at the theater I worked at. I can't I can't lay this claim for every theater. Yes, you can. You're speaking for everyone right now, Chris. Oh, my gosh. Wait. So it would just get hidden in the back for three days. Sometimes. Sometimes it would. Yeah. And it would just get reheated and then oil would get dumped on top of it and no one cared. No OK, one cared. now wait. 
Now, wait, is that the main reason you won't eat it? Or are you being very polite and not telling us another thing that's disgusting? Well, I also I also just got sick of eating. It. Yeah. It's, yeah. You're, you're working at a movie theater for eight hours a day. All you're doing is snacking on popcorn and drinking soda. Yeah. So you, you, you just get sick of it. So I, I can't really tolerate popcorn anymore. OK. I'm glad that that's as bad as it is because it's like I'll eat trash bag popcorn. I don't care. I thought you were going to say this, like something happened. There's worse things. There's worse things about the movie theater. The level of. <laughs> I'm outing myself. This is my, uh, my my guilty purge right now. The level of, at least the theater I worked at, the level of corruption at this theater. There is um, corruption in a movie theater, Chris? There is, Spill. totally. I mean, you've got a bunch of people working there for at least where I was. Minimum wage at the time, I think it was like four fifty an hour or something Ooh. like that. Some, something ridiculous. You're from and 15, you, you 12. Know, you're, you're working long shifts and you're dealing with customers front facing. Um, you got to find a way to uh, make a little extra cash. So uh, there were there were some cash scams going on in the movie theater where people would make a little extra money. They would sell half, what were called half tickets, actually. And so, well, think about it. You got two people coming up to the box. Office. I'd like two tickets for, you know, whatever. You push out one ticket, you rip it in half, give them two stubs. That's two tickets. But they, you paid, you but they paid you for two. Yeah. Now, at the time, tickets, you know, for matinees were like five bucks. So it was easy math. So it was like, you take 10, you keep five, put five in the box. I want to say, Chris, you look great for being 212 years old. Like you're doing like you, you. You've been around for a while. That's wild. It's, <laughs> no, it's, it's also Midwest. I eat healthy. Yeah. Good I for you. Healthy, so. Sit ups and apples. Noted. Wait. So. The, so. OK. So they're doing the, the tear. So then that means yeah. when they go to the ticket taker person, they're just like, yeah. oh, you know, because it doesn't matter which half they have. So it just yeah. seems well, as if they're reentering. Sometimes there wasn't a ticket taker person. Oh, sure, of course. Sometimes it was it, it was up to the box. On our system. Tickets, they say, yeah, just go in. Yeah, you're, you're fine. You're fine. And uh, I know I know people that made, uh, I, I had a roommate actually that paid his bar bill every night when he would, uh, <laughs> he would do those tickets. Because of the ticket tickets, scam? And he would come home with a couple hundred bucks in his pocket. Chris. And, and, and we would go out that night. I, I'm not proud of it. You like should hang my, your head. This is my purge. This is my guilty <laughs> purge. This is this is me giving bad customer service to people, actually. So it's you know, it's, I mean, the, it's the flip side of, of of the receiving end. And we didn't know. Uh, okay, so that scam was going on. Were there other scams? Well, yes, yeah, there there were a few, mostly revolving the concessions. You know, theaters, movie theaters, they make most of their money through the concession. Like they they make a little bit of money showing the films, but their main source of revenue, main source of income, are popcorn, soda, candy, whatnot. And at the theater I worked at, um, it was an inventory system. So they figured out how much they sold by how many bags of popcorn they sold or how many cups of drinks they sold. So they would they would uh, count the bags at the beginning of each shift and then count the bags at the end of each shift and then just do the math. And that's, you know, that's what they made in the night. Well, some ingenious people, and I didn't come up with this. I didn't come up with any of these schemes, by the way. <laughs> you're not the I, originator. You're just the benefactor. I'm not the originator. <laughs> Got I, it. I benefacted a little bit. Um, <laughs> Down the, but I stopped doing it. After. Anyway, we're not judging uh, you, so, Chris. You keep telling us. Come on. So, so what some industrious workers would do is they would go into the theater after the movie, because we all went into the theaters no, after the movie. No, and no, we would clean the theater. No, Chris, no. What they would do? No, no. I, you know where I'm going. I with do. This. You know where I'm going. They okay. would empty the popcorn bag, shake it out. They would shake out the popcorn bag, fold it up nice and neat, and put it back in the stack. And they would resell the popcorn. So, I mean, a large popcorn was five bucks or whatever. That's an easy $5 in their pocket. 
because they wouldn't have to put it in the register because it would have already been counted as a bag that it's was already, already been, paid for. It's already been sold. They double sold or maybe triple sold sometimes popcorn bags. I don't think they ever did it with cups. I don't think anyone ever went that far. You're just cups. being nice, Chris. You know, if they're that doing it be- with the bags, they're for sure doing it with the cups and the straws and everything. The herps Probably. at that theater. <laughs> Woof. <Probably>. Woof. <laughs> One time, I remember some lady came out of the theater and was like, um, I think I want my money back on the popcorn. And she showed us the popcorn bag. And there was lipstick on the rim of the popcorn bag that she had been handed. Oh, no, no, and, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. See, this is the thing. I say this about liars, too. If you're going to be a schemer and a scammer, you got to be uh, your attention to detail has to be pristine. And you got to yeah. be smarter than the people you're scheming and scamming. I wouldn't think to look now I'm going to you've ruined popcorn for me, you by the way. To, I'm going to look for to. lipstick now every time I go to the movie theaters. <laughs> but you would you'd think that that would be the thing that the I mean, I guess if they're 16 year olds scamming adults, like they're not really looking for the details or whatever. But that's pretty. Yeah. It's an impressive way to steal i mean they were stealing well, yeah and it was a victimless crime really you know when you think about it it's sure chris people you know mm-hmm. you sell a couple mm-hmm. tickets it's fine they still get to see their movie and yeah you know mm-hmm. and that mom and pop theater is just shut down now they burned it down actually they were you know it, it's over it's fine chris you just ruined families i think they got bought out i think uh-huh. they got bought out by a bigger company so but well uh, you know we did it to a degree you know i told you my roommate you know I, you know uh, paid for his bar tab and stuff like that. Sure. And I'll admit to buying a few meals, you know, on company dime. <laughs> Just a couple. And whatnot. But the, it was the generation after me, after I left the movie theater that carried on the tradition. What they did is they called it um, grandma. They said, hey, grandma's in town. Let's go out tonight. And when grandma was in town, that meant that they would be stealing money. Hey, how'd you pay for that meal? Oh, grandma paid for Like straight out paid. the register. Like it wasn't even just the ticket scam. Now we're just now we're just skimming. Well, no, it was it was still the ticket scam. It was it was still the tickets, and it was still the popcorn bags. But they would call it grandma. Wow. And so I heard the generation after me uh, at this particular movie theater, like one of the guys, uh, his grandma paid for his car, or something, because he had he had worked all summer or something like that, and he had scammed so much. His grandma had a, had eventually, you know, paid for his new car that he bought at the end of the summer. That is so, wild. It got a little crazy, and that was like beyond me. I was even appalled. I was like, "Oh my god how could, how could you how could you do that?" I mean, I paid for some meals and some some bar tabs, you know, nothing to that degree. Yeah, but, I didn't uh, buy a Maserati yeah. off the backs of these like fucking independent well, I mean, owners. It, it was Oklahoma. No one really drove Maseratis, <laughs> but uh, mostly you know late, late model Toyotas. But. But still, yeah, what a, it was nuts. So, what is what a scheme? What a scheme. So I go into movie theaters now completely suspect. I, <laughs> I would do. <laughs> I never buy popcorn. <laughs> You're like, I know the thieves that do this. I'll sneak ring. in a water bottle, you know. <laughs> do you know? I don't know if you because uh, your wife had said you guys live in Glendale. Had you ever gone to the ArcLight in Sherman Oaks? Do you know which yeah. way? It's no longer yeah. there, so I'll, we'll talk openly about it. Oh, yeah. ArcLight lost it in the pandemic, I think. Yeah, they did. They yeah. So for non-LA people, it was a fancy, like, you know, full service. Everything's so expensive. Tickets are like $45 or whatever. But they would... <laughs> high end. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. But they would, they would say, like, no outside food or drinks. Fine. Most theaters would say that. But I don't know if you ever experienced this. But I was very poor and really wanted to go see a movie. So I bought myself a nice little salad from downstairs, and I put it in, in my bag, and then I walked in. This 
chick who was on some sort of power trip was checking <laughs> bags before oh, yeah. we walked in. And so my commitment to get that salad in was unmatched. And so I just kept saying, there's nothing in there. There's nothing in there. And she was like, I need to check it. And I was like, do you? There's nothing in here. And I was mortified because I had to go back to my car and put my salad back in my car. Couldn't couldn't watch a movie with some crisp iceberg. But I, I was so <laughs> shocked at the level of like no outside food or beverage. Did you guys pull that kind of shit where you were checking bags? Oh, I pulled that shit all the time. Did you really, Chris? Uh, when I when I when I was doorman, when I was doorman, it was our responsibility to you know be the to be the gatekeeper. You know, if someone was bringing in a bottle of Coke or something like that. I was like, excuse me, you can't. No, you can't. You need to take that out and throw it away or put it back in your car. Yeah, people got mad. People got mad. I got threatened a few times. But you were also using grandma to scam a ticket here. Like your bar tabs the, were being paid and then you're the also enforcing is wild. Is palpable. It's yes, the hypocrisy <laughs> is palpable. It's 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 ridiculous, and I understand that. Okay, good. But I had to do my job. Still, I had to sure. do my job. You're right. There were a couple of times when I was up up in the booth because part of my job was also I got to put the movies together. I got to build That's the movies fun. and run them on the projectors and stuff like that. Once you get up in the ranks at a movie theater, you get to do the technical stuff. But I would look down on people from the window and I would see the people that brought their drinks in and they were sneaking them and stuff like that. Then I would run downstairs and go into the theater and say, ah, you can't do that. And I'd feel like I won. And meanwhile, I was just an asshole. <laughs> meanwhile, you're <laughs> skimming off the top. Like, Wow. I was just a hypocritical asshole. Just, hey, listen, you're self-aware now. We've moved on. You're married. you got a family. You've really turned a corner. Now you're advising people on money. Like, good, you know, trust Chris with all your financial needs. He's clever. That's what we're learning. Exactly. You're clever. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you to my grandma. <laughs> I don't, I want no part of it. May she rest. I want no part of it. Okay, Chris. So now I have to ask the most obvious question for anyone that's ever worked in a movie theater. Did you catch people either having sex, making out or being inappropriate and had have to do something about it in the theaters? I, I heard stories. I never personally caught people, but I did hear stories about, we let people kiss. That's fine. Yeah, who Whatever. cares? They can, they can make, they can make out in the theater. But if it got any worse than that, I had heard stories about them having to intercede. I, I never did. I never did. I never saw it happen. Um, but um, I'd heard stories about, yeah, you know, they were getting a little handsy. You know, there were some moans coming from the back. You know, and a lot of times, a, a lot of us didn't do anything really. We just sometimes, out of curiosity, we would walk in and see if we could see anything. Sure, of course, who wouldn't? You know, but, yeah. But I, I didn't want to intrude on their personal time. <laughs> You're like, I'll let you all have this romantic you can, moment. You can do it. I mean, if there's, <laughs> if there's only like three other people in the theater or whatever, fine. You can. <laughs> it's dark. It's cozy. So I, I like that the teenage Chris gave a lot of latitude for romantic interludes, but no latitude for the outside sodas. Like just there was no grace well, extended if you brought in a Pepsi, but you can fondle your girlfriend. OK, I just want to understand. Yeah, no, I get it. I just I just know there's no, there's no signage that says no fondling. Of, sure, sure. Of significant others. Sure. There was signage. No Pepsis from the got it. OK, exactly. Which no is outside a, food or drink. OK, now you said gas station uh, i have uh, so many questions was it like so i know in, i think in oklahoma they have it they have it in missouri like a quick trip where it was kind of like a 7-eleven but with a gas station that's like you can basically stock up on groceries for a crazy markup and it's mm -hmm. massive and there's like 52 pumps and that kind of was it that level of gas station or was it like mom yeah. and pop well, it wasn't it wasn't like Quick Trip, but it was a Quick Trip wannabe. Okay. Um, and it was a station called, and I'll give the name. It's fine. Jack Griffith's gas station. Jack okay. Griffith's. It was a small chain. 
and and the, they were they were kind of like a quick trip. They had the groceries and you know the beer and the soda and everything else in the freezers, and then they had like five or six pumps, and some of them had car washes as well. So wow. it was one of those. So yeah, it was very similar to like a quick trip. Or were you skimming off the top of this job too? No. Good job, no. you. So we've turned a I corner. Let I, I let my roommate steal beer though. Oh well. So so a little bit, not enough to really bit. make a huge difference. Okay. Right. So, right. what was your job there, and how, and how long did you last? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a cashier, basically, uh, just worked behind the counter, okay. um, handled people coming in, buying gas and groceries and whatnot. And I was, think I was there for maybe a year and a half. And I did this at the same time I did the movie theater as well. So I was doing both jobs. But whilst you were in school, too? Like, yeah. in co- how yeah. uh, the energy of the in, youth is wasted on the young. I'm such a boomer. Well, but I like we have such energy when we're tiny humans whose brains aren't developed. Is the key brain damage? Because I'll sacrifice. <laughs> what is it? Let's put it this way, though. I it took me six years to get out of college and I'm not a doctor. So <laughs> I did work a little too much, maybe. So you were a cashier. Now I have to again ask an obvious question because it's a gas station. Were you ever like held at gunpoint or have a scary interaction where they stole the money or not even gunpoint, but like been robbed? Any of that? I never No, I was never held up or anything else like that. I did have people just blatantly uh, shoplift, though. I had one night I was working there by myself and this cowboy comes in. This was Oklahoma cowboy hat, boots, everything, Wranglers, everything. Sure. And he came in and he goes to the back freezer and he picks up a couple of suitcases of Bud Light or something like that. So you said suitcases. To, Did I hear you correctly? Well, like twenty four packs. Like, like, oh, like twenty four packs. Oh, oh, got it, got it, got it. I thought you meant he like rolled in a suitcase, filled it, and was like, "I'm <laughs> out." I'm out. <laughs> okay. Uh, cases of beer. A got it. Got cases it. of beer he was carrying, and he and he put him down by the door, and he pretended to look at his wallet or something like that. And I took my eyes off him for a second, and then I hear the door open, and I, I hear his boots go And I look at him, and he just takes off across the parking lot. And I just kind of shake my head. I'm like, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to call anyone. (laughs) I mean, it's not worth it. It's not, you know, it's not worth it to follow up. It's not worth it to, you know, confront or anything else like that. Cause I don't know what's going to happen. So was there a policy because there's, I know that this is true for retail in major cities, like because it's Mm -hmm. not technically theft until they cross the threshold out into like, what is the public area or whatever, You can't you can like lovingly suggest that they not steal from you, but you can't be like, hey, you're about to steal. I'm not into it. Like you have to be like, hey, would you want to put that down or pay for it? So did you guys have a training where they were like, if someone steals, you do X? No, we didn't have a training like that. I think it was suggested a couple of times, like, you know, <laughs> Lovingly when suggested. I was when I was like shadowing somebody, they were like, yeah, you know, people steal sometimes. If you see it happening, just, you know, make it obvious that you're watching them, you know, uh, you try to have a conversation with them. That way you can interact with them and they may not steal then, you know, but and we were also told to never confront, never go up to someone and confront or anything else like that, because you never know what could happen. Because I, I have heard horror stories of, you know, people working the night shift or something like that and doing something, confronting someone who was about to rob them or something like that and just getting really hurt or worse. Yeah. I mean, and we forget too, like in the Midwest and the South, it's very common to have a concealing carry. And so you don't, you know, even if they didn't intend to show you what they were concealing, they may. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good times. Exactly. Exactly. It's not worth it. It's not worth no. it for a seven fifty an hour job. Or it just isn't. You're not paid enough. You're simply not paid enough. Okay. <clears throat> did you work at a Jack Griffiths that had a car wash? I did. I did. Okay. W- did that ever get 
complicated or weird? Oh my God, it sure did. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it would break down during the, That's during funny. the like rush hour rushes. Of course. So we worked, the, the, the station I was working at at this time, it was, uh, on the out, on, on the way out of town. So everyone who was commuting from my town to Tulsa or Oklahoma city, where they were coming in or going out. So everyone would stop at the station for Phillips and snacks and last minute car wash or whatever. So it was always a rush at rush hour and early in the morning and the car wash would always break down. So people were outside the car wash hitting the call button as I'm dealing with a line of like 20 people. And the person who was supposed to be with me is in the freezer restocking or something like that. So we would have to, I'll be right there. Hang on. I'll be right there. Oh my God. And yeah, it was it got a little hectic sometimes. Well, but once I, again, not worth it in the long run. Definitely not. And also, why would you be so? Why would there only be two people manning that station during rush hour, knowing that someone's going to have to be a field op person that's running around? So that I mean, the the opportunities for thievery were it was rife Rampant. for that. Yeah. Rampant, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. The second you walk away from behind the counter, it's like, and all this gum is now mine, and I'll see you never. That well, that's, that's why we had to say, you know, wait, wait, wait till my back up gets here you know from the freezer or wherever he is and then he can man the thing and i can go out and fix the car wash or whatever yeah what would be the most common thing that would that would break that you would be able to fix (laughs) the worst thing i ever had to fix i was told to go clean out the dead birds oh no 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 why 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 were there dead birds well, birds would fly in and they would get caught, you know, when the doors closed or okay, whatever. Okie doke. Okie doke. Got it. They couldn't get out. They couldn't sure. get out and they would drown or. Oh, uh, I regret asking. Uh, so you would have to, did you have to literally scoop up uh, bird bodies and put them in the trash? I used a broom. Oh God, Chris. I just got Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'm done. I'm done. Well, I'm that, done. Was, that was my reaction too. That was my <laughs> reaction too. And that that was at the tail end of that of that particular job. I was like, I don't know how much more I could do this. Do this. What What made uh, you quit that particular job? Oh, I got fired from stealing I beers. <laughs> I should have. I should have. <laughs> but no, I got fired because I didn't mop a floor correctly. Stop. At the end of each of our shifts. Yes. At the end of each of our shifts, we had to mop. And, you know, clean and, you know, front the shelves and make sure the store looked good before we left. And apparently I didn't do that. And I got a call from the general manager like the next day or the day after or something like that and said, hey, we don't really need your services anymore. And that was a singular infraction. Like you hadn't had any Um, other write ups or anything before then. Not that I was aware of, but he told me that other people had said that I've done this in the past. And I was like, I was never told this because I, I always I always take pride in my job. No matter what shitty job I have, I always try to take some pride in it and do a good job. Sure. Despite the theft. At the sure, sure, sure. And everything else <laughs> Overlooking that. Yeah, I, yeah. I always took a degree of pride in the job, you know, to do a good job and, you know, uh, do what I can. And um, I never knew that I had any prior infractions, but this guy said, yeah, this, you didn't mop and you didn't straighten these shelves. So yeah, we're just not going to hire you back. Shout out to your wife, a previous guest on the show who got fired from a bagel shop by just being removed from the schedule for a singular infraction. When she called out sick one time, you both have that in common where you have some bullshit, like reason to be fired. And it only happened once. That's such, I mean, they did you a favor. You don't have to clean up any more bird bodies because next they were going to be like, somebody's finger fell off in there. You got to fucking. You just reminded me, I used to work at a bagel shop too. That's another job. Yeah. That's not, I I did work at a bagel shop briefly. Okay. What did you do there? Oh, it was the same making sandwiches and sales. What made you quit that one? Sandwiches. 
Um, I think it was, I, I think I had found a full-time gig Doing somewhere else. else. This was only a gig that would give me a little bit of money so I could pay the rent. Um, and then I found something else. Yeah. I, I, it was a bridge, one of those bridge, bridge jobs. jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when were you officially able to like work in radio and have that float your life? Well, I worked in radio all through college. So I started radio like in 1990, 1990. I worked in radio all through the 90s. Okay. So it was a great time to be in radio. Yeah. Um, the big alternative boom, indie rock was huge. You know, all these new up and coming bands, Screaming Trees, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, they were all coming Never heard in of any of them. And it was, it, it was exciting. Yeah. It was exciting. And um, so I did that through college and I did post-college and I think it was 98 or 99 when I officially, no, 97 or 98 was when I officially was full-time supporting myself in radio. Okay. Okay. Without without a secondary gig. And is it kind of similar in that in like with meteorology or journalism or whatever, where you're paid basically peanuts for a while and then all of a sudden you can kind of live on it? Yes. yes. Very, very, very much peanuts. I think my first full time radio gig that I had and I was music director of the station at the time, uh, I made twenty three thousand a year or something, something it's just, just tiny. I mean, even even in the 1400s, you couldn't live on that. Like, it's just not it enough was, money. Was it was terrible. And I was living in a like a 250 square foot efficiency basement apartment at the time, you know, with my bed and a futon and a little nook for a kitchen and a tiny bathroom and, uh, and a Bunsen yeah. burner. And they're like, you're good. You got this. Ugh. But I loved it. I loved it. It was yeah. uh, it was cool. It's a it cool was, time uh, of your life. Yeah, I was doing living the dream. Yeah, living that radio dream, and then I realized the radio dream kind of sucks. Is that so? That really was the transition to get you out of radio. Was when the corporate cog you were where you got in the wheel, where they were like, "Yeah, you don't get to decide programming." And you're like, "But that's my job." And they're like, "Just kidding, it's not." Was that yeah. like the last straw where you were like, "And radio ain't it for me"? It was a big part of it, and I also saw you know I could see which direction the wind was going, and the radio was going very very automated. Sure. I knew my job wasn't necessarily secure. And I didn't want to be, uh, you know, to quote WKRP in Cincinnati, town to town, up and down the dial. I didn't I didn't want to do that. Right. I yeah. didn't want to work overnight shifts, you know, 20 years into my radio career, uh, which I might have had I stayed, uh, which is fine. If you love it, that's great. Uh, but I didn't want to pay that price. So I, I opted for something more secure, something I knew I could do something that I ultimately was good at. Maybe it's not a passion necessarily, but I know I'm good at it and I can do it well. And now I can support my wife's acting habit. Yay. <laughs> habit. Rude, Chris. Rude. <laughs> okay. So, okay. What was your favorite job of all of the customer service jobs that you've had? Of all the customer service jobs, I would say that movie theater job was the best. Sounds one. like and it. Not because of the, not because scams. of the bonus money, the not scams. because of the theft, mm -hmm. but <laughs> Some of those people that I worked with are still my friends today. Oh, really? Yeah, and we're scattered all over the world. I've got a friend in in uh, Norway who lives in Norway now. I, I'm still in contact with her. I've got friends in Oklahoma. I've got friends out here in California that I worked at that movie theater with wow. that we're still in contact with today. That's really so, neat. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Well, so I made really good friends and really good connections. That helps. I mean, it really, it's, it's a time of your life thing, but it's like, it's kind of how you said that stuffing envelopes jobs w was tolerable because you could shoot the shit with your buddies and like, it's yeah, the it's the people yeah, full stop. It's the people hear that AI. It's the people. It's the people. Um, okay. What was your least favorite of all of them? I would, well, that, the pizza place kind of sucked, but it was so quick. Um, I'd probably say that, that 
the printing press job, the Oberlin color press job was my least favorite just because it was so boring and monotonous and there was nothing to it. It was literally stuffing magazines in envelopes. Yeah, and there I was stuffed n- magazines in famous people's envelopes. I stuffed uh, like David Garcia's Rolling Stone magazine into his envelope and, you know, a few other like movie stars because the shipping came from that from that plant. So oh, cool. I would see famous names and I would stuff them. I'd be like, hey, that's kind of neat. Whatever. <laughs> but I got to just keep going. I got to keep stuffing these envelopes. That's okay. Through. <laughs> okay. And uh, what was there an incident where they needed to speak to your manager at any of these jobs? movie theater I think, yes it. yes at the movie theater yeah yeah there, there was a guy in the town who would only go see a movie if i was the one running the projector oh he had a crush on you i think so <laughs> uh, he, he was apparently the cinema teacher or the cinema professor at the local college he taught like one or two theater classes cinema classes like theory of cinema and stuff like that and so he thought he was he thought he was a film guru. Sure, sure. So he would only get, he, in his opinion, everyone else did it wrong. Sure, so of course. When he, would, when he would come into the theater, he would go into my manager's office and go, is Chris working tonight? Is he up in the projection booth? And our manager would be like, yes, he is. Okay, then I will go see this movie. And that carried on for a while. I really love that like he knew that you were, it's probably because you cared enough about like presentation and like, you know, <laughs> You were it's taking, not rocket science. It's just you put the movies together and you hope it's not out of focus. And, and that, then if and it isn't focused, you fix it. Yeah. So how long did you guys date? Oh. Was it quick? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. It was a brief fling. I was young. I needed the money. Yeah, that's okay. Grandma. Yeah, how long did you date grandma? grandma? <laughs> okay. What was the weirdest thing you had been asked to do whilst on the clock? Uh, well, the whole cleaning of the birds thing. That's pretty whole, bad. That's The whole yeah. eliminating. Bird bodies. Like. Yeah, we got some birds backed up in the car wash, Chris. Can you go ahead and just uh, clean that out? I was like, what? How often was that happening? You know, honestly, it only happened like twice. That's enough. It stuck, but it stuck with me. Yeah, it stuck with me. I was like, this this is not how I envisioned my life going. (laughs) This is not on my list of goals. I I, I didn't. 22 or whatever, and I'm in a car wash cleaning out dead sparrows. You have (laughs) your. All over your vision board is just like the movie Birds and just a bunch of birds. Oh, You're, no. Yeah, it's good. Oh, no. Okay. Um, and was there, uh, have you ever told a customer to, to F off or like get out of your face? Or have you ever gotten like disgruntled with a human? I never have, honestly. Yeah, it didn't I've seem been, like that. I don't, the customer's never right. I, I, <laughs> I'm a firm believer in that. But I've never outwardly, like while on the job, told them to, you know, fuck off or yeah. or, or whatever. How would you handle it if someone got uh, aggressive or, you know, condescending or shitty to you? I have a hard time not being sarcastic. Yes. Yeah, um, so I have a hard time kind of reining that in. But ultimately, I turn around and walk away. Because well, it's, it's not my cheek. time. No job is worth that. No job is worth that. I mean, I, and I've had customers, you know, come up to me and be complaining about something, you know, movie theater is a perfect example. Hey, the film's out of focus. Oh, it's too loud. It's too, not loud enough. It's why can't I bring in my Coke? And, you know, and they would get up in my face and I'd be like, cause that sign says you can't. And he's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm like, okay, okay whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you, sir. Yeah. It took you know? really this or show or, case yeah, or anyone. Uh, it yeah. took this show really to make me realize that, that the number of guests who have said a version of I'm not paid enough or this job simply isn't worth it. Cause I used to care so much, too much. I cared too much mm-hmm. about all these jobs. And then I realized like, I'm getting ulcers over a $7 an hour job where the, the corporation don't give a shit about me. And I'm like, right. I'll go down to the mat for you. No, thanks. 
No thanks. No. Do whatever you want. Like I can't. We're not care. a family. I'm no. your coworker. Yeah. You know, I'm your employee. Yeah. I don't have. I'm not that loyal. Yeah. I don't need to <laughs> but, be. You know. And honestly, like no job is worth no that. No job. Even, even the job I have now, where yeah. I'm able to support my family with and stuff like that. If I've got a boss that's berating me or treating me poorly or anything like that, I'm going to. Bye. Well, uh, be incredibly caustically sarcastic back to them or her and then walk. Yeah. Because it's not worth it. I can find another job. That's I think that fear that was put in me in the Midwest of like, oh, no, this is it. Like, this is the job. And it's like there are they, do you know how many restaurants and fucking movie theaters? Like, there's just there's too many jobs available to to mm-hmm. let someone be shitty. OK, uh, do you, are you a person personally? Do you tip because you've not worked a tipped oh, yeah. job? Right. You have. I always tip. You do. I always tip. Let's just say one thing about tipping. I think tipping has gotten a little out of control because I, I see tip lines on every. I, I bought a shirt the other day and there was a tip line at, you know, at JCPenney or where I bought the shirt from. I was like, what? are you what? joking? Why is there a tip line? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not joking. But yeah, there was a tip line. And I'm like, I'm not going to No, You just rang me up. I'm not going to. There's I think, you know, registers come, you know, with that pre-filled line sometimes in their choices. And if they choose not to take it out, the tip line just shows up. And if I'm just, if I haven't experienced any service to speak of necessarily, I'm not, I don't feel obligated to tip, but sometimes I do feel that pressure. Like if I'm going in and picking up food, takeout or something like that, there's that tip line that really started showing up during the pandemic. Every place we would take out from, there would be that tip line was there. And I feel this pressure to tip. And so I I tip always, uh, but maybe a little less than if I had actually been there. Sure. Yeah. I I had said this before. The dry cleaners where I was just where I go uh, has a tip jar out now. And I just I didn't know. I mean, like I'm a big tipper, but I was like, this feels annoying. (laughs) Like, I don't know. And it's like you're taking my, you know, my sweaters or whatever. So now I'm like, well, shit, if I don't tip you, are you going to fucking ruin my shirt? Exactly. It's extortion. Yeah, it sure is. I can't believe it at a JCPenney there was a tip line. I like, I'm, uh, that's horrific. It's, yeah, inexcusable. Yeah, it is. Okay. And what do you think the solution is? I, I'm, I'm curious to pick your brain on this. Like, because tipping culture is out of hand. So what's the solution? Mm-hmm. Well, I think everyone needs to tip because I think it's important. I think, I, I think <clears throat> service industry people who work in the service industry don't make money at all. Waiters and waitresses, uh, cooks. That's right. Chefs. Uh, they don't make money. And so they need those extra tips. So I always tip above and beyond, especially if I get good service. I think, you know, I think some businesses don't need a tip line. Your dry cleaner doesn't need a tip line or a tip jar, probably. So, I mean, it's up to the individual businesses. But then I think, again, I think it's just up to us to not be pressured into that. Do you, you know, don't tip if you don't feel like you need to tip someone extra. Do you think that the, that the culture is out of hand because of, like, what do you think has pushed it to be so bold for people? The pandemic. That, yeah, I think so, too. The pandemic, for sure. I think uh, so many restaurants, I mean, out here in L.A., a lot of restaurants just shut down because they couldn't yeah. handle the service anymore. And then they started opening things up in the streets. And a lot of restaurants didn't know what to do with that. They didn't know how to pivot their business into a takeout model or something like that. And so they lost a lot of business. And so, yeah, I kind of feel for them. So yeah. I, I feel uh, I feel okay about tipping a little extra sometimes. You've answered this for one of your jobs. Have you been, Have you had any other firing stories? We know you were uh, let go from Jack Griffith's uh, bird body <laughs> job. But did you have you ever been fired from anything else? No, for the most part, I've, I've kept all my jobs and most... Every time, except for that one. The, okay. The decision was mine to leave. 
Good job, you. Can you express the a story or can you express? That's such a weird way to ask that. Can you express a story? Can you tell us a story of the worst customer you have interacted with personally or an archetype of who the worst customer would be? I think it would be, whew, I think it would be the entitled customer. Um, I'm once again going to use the movie theater as an example. <clears throat> this was back in, I worked at a movie theater back when movie theaters didn't have assigned seats. So you just go in, you pick a seat, Boom, there you go. Oh, was that chaos? So a, it was, it sometimes, sometimes it could be, and this is an example. I had a guy come in, and he sat in the middle of the theater. The theater, it was a popular movie at the time. I can't even remember the title, but movie started. To, the theater started to fill up, and this woman and her like eight-year-old son wanted to see the movie too, and they wanted seats together, and there were no seats together. But this one guy was sitting between two empty seats. So I you know, lean into him, and I was like, excuse me, sir, would you mind moving over one seat so this woman and her child can sit down and watch this movie. And he said, no. I, I was like, why? I said, I paid for this seat. I came here early. I paid for this seat. And this is the seat I've got. And I'm like, so you're not going to let this woman sit with her son to watch this movie? He goes, no, I paid for this seat. This is what I have. And I feasibly, I couldn't move him. I couldn't argue with him because, yeah, he that's the seat he picked out. That's how, but he wouldn't, it, just the sense of entitlement the and the rudeness and the lack of, just being a decent human uh, stuck with me after all these years. I was like, why would you not let a woman sit with her kid to watch a movie? It's 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 the entitled customer, you know, that I have a problem with. And I, th I think we've all had cases of those. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's it's gotten, in my experience with customer service, it's definitely gotten exponentially worse on, worse on both sides. I think that the, you know, the servers have become, or people in customer service positions have become more short-tempered, but then they're getting mm -hmm. asked to bend over backwards and and do too much as well. So it's kind of like it's that weird balance that yeah. Okay. And I would do you agree. think people do you do you think people in customer service positions uh, have been emboldened? Yes. Like by the pandemic no and question. things like that. So they're emboldened yes. to speak out more yes. and speak more directly to customers? Yes, because there's also, in my opinion, I think that the labor shortage is not accurate. I don't think it's an accurate description. I think what's true is that a lot of people who were in customer service jobs, myself included, looked at the billions of dollars these corporations were clearing off of the backs of our, you know, seven to $10 an hour jobs and thought, oh, I'm just killing myself for you to keep making insane profits, including during the pandemic. And I'm getting talked to any old kind of way because I care about my job and I don't want to get fired. I'm all set. And I think the people that have then since filled those positions are people who wish somebody would and are like, yeah, yeah. oh, oh, yeah, you're going to fire me. You're going to fire me. There's nobody to fill this job. That's what I th do you think that? Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a theory. lot of sense. I could be wrong, yeah. but yeah, and I, I like how you phrased it on the back of on the back of these employees. They've mm -hmm. made these profits off the backs of you know the lowest level employees, mm -hmm. and I think Unapolo unapologetically that that's the part. And without you know health insurance, and a, we have a there's a previous bonus episode for this for the show where we talk about the health benefit surcharge that a lot of places added. That was like, hey, this is I've only seen this in LA, so I don't know if it's elsewhere, but where it was under the guise of you're you're providing health insurance for our cooking staff and for our you know the behind the scenes people that don't get tips. And I was like, I, and they would say they'd put in it with a little asterisk, like, okay, but you can have this removed from your bill if you would like. It's like, first of all, the way you worded this, who's doing that? Oh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. not allowing healthcare for the people that just made the food. Okay. But also <laughs> I wanted to be like, show your receipts, 
prove to me that they either have health care or they saw this money because they don't know in theory who's paid it, what checks. Like you could just say to them, oh, sorry, this whole day, everybody had it removed from their checks. When how that, is this accounted for? How right. is it accounted for? Like, right. I'm not an asshole. I would love for them to have health care. But also, you a pretty big corporation. I feel like you could just put them on the on the health on, the on, plan. A, on your yeah. on the plan. Yeah, put them on the plan. Put them on the yeah. plan. Well, now we're going to go into the positive section. We hope you all saved room for dessert. Okay. What is the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? So when I was in radio, I had I was working nights up in Kansas. And I, I this kid won some concert tickets for me to a Blink-182 concert. And so he and his mom went to this concert and then like a week later, they visited me at the station and they had bought me a T-shirt. Come t-shirt on. Because I let him win and he was a huge fan of the <laughs> band and he got to go and it made his year and they went and bought me a Blink-182 T-shirt. Did you rig it so that he would win? No, not at all. No, he actually, he called in and <laughs> I can't remember what the contest was, but he actually called in and won. And, you know, he screamed on that. It was a great call. He screamed on the phone and, yeah, thank you. Oh my God, I can't believe this. Oh. And, uh, and they had a blast and they they got me a nice, nice concert T-shirt. It was fun. The level of thoughtfulness that it was like you not only like they got to have this beautiful experience, but you were on their minds enough that they made a point of taking time out to like like a T-shirt. You yeah. probably because you worked in music, you probably could have gotten for free somewhere, but that they like did that and dropped it out. That extra level feels yeah. s- makes you feel so seen. It's such a lovely well, I- you know, it's validating because, yeah. you know, like I said, with radio, you work, you know, in a booth by yourself, yeah. just talking out into the air. Uh, you interact with people on the phone and stuff every now and again. And that's fun sometimes, scary sometimes, too. But um, <laughs> but you have no idea how you touch people, you know, in a, in, in, a, in a position like that. And then when you receive something like that, it is it is pretty, uh, pretty thoughtful. Even though this is a positive section, I forgot. I want to know this. Did you ever get any heavy breathers that would call in and just like be weird on the phone with you and you'd have to be like, I got to get off this call? I got some girls call me sometimes that just wanted me to like talk to them. Oof. Can you just talk to me for a while? Can you just talk to me? I like your voice. Can you just talk to me? I was like, uh, okay, what do you want me to say? It was nothing dirty. It was nothing like... No, of course. You know, it, was, it was nothing. I, I also got the occasional death threat. Woo! Um, Chris, yeah, I would I'd, I'd be working overnights at the uh, alternative station in Tulsa, and which apparently there's a prison nearby that could pick up our signals. And they would ask me to play a song. And if I didn't play it, they would tell me they were waiting for me at the bottom of the station when I when I left my shift. Nice. How long did you date those guys? <laughs> uh, that's terrible. Well, the, yeah. we'll go back to positive. Okay, who's your favorite customer that you've ever interacted with, or like the 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 nicest thing that kid did? I mean, that's pretty much up there. But do you have a favorite that like a regular that would come into the theaters, or like anybody that you interacted with that you were like, this makes this all worth it? Well, you know, the guy that the guy that liked me to run his movies for him at the movie theater that that was. You know, nice. that was cool and yeah. a bit of an ego builder, even though he was a bit pretentious and stuff like that. It was yeah. nice. I always, I always felt, you know, kind of an ego boost. So yeah. It looked good in front of my management. So yeah, yeah, it does. Okay. And what's the best lesson you've personally learned from working in customer service? Best lesson I've learned is not to make assumptions on people mm. sometimes because you don't know what, you don't know what's going on in someone's head, sure. you know, at any given time. 
in any given interaction. You don't know what just happened to them five minutes ago. You don't know what just happened to them yesterday, sure. you know, or whatever, and what's going on in their mind. So if they come at you with any degree of vitriol or, you know, entitlement or, you know, whatever, just uh, take it on a neutral basis because you don't know what they're thinking and you don't want to offend, you don't want to engage, you don't want to anger. Just treat them as you would want to be treated, ultimately. That's great. And then last question, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Take into account what might be going through that person's head, what their experiences are. They're a person too. They're, you know, you might think you're above them in station or whatever, but they're there ultimately to help you. That's one of the reasons why I like customer service. And that's one of the reasons why I like, even my job now, I consider a customer service job mm -hmm. is I like helping people um, no matter what it is. And I think um, as long as you remember that, you'll do a good job. And as long as the people you interact with remember that, that you're there to help people, they should treat you nicer. I mean, it should be a good give and take. Do you have an example of like being able to turn a situation around where a customer came at you hot and you applied that principle and then it shifted? Only in that, you know, hey, you can't bring that pizza into the theater that you just <laughs> brought in from Domino's or whatever. You can't do that. And they, they'll get at me. And, they, and, and that's when I play the card of, hey, I'm just telling you the rules, man. You can't do this. I only make four bucks an hour or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, just, you know, I try, I try to play the, Hey, I'm on your side. If I, if I had that pizza, I would want it too, or whatever. Um, you know, you try to, you try to put yourself in their shoes in sure. front of them and put yourself in that situation and try to empathize as much as possible. And that's kind of what got me through those like periods of interaction, periods of uh, engagement. Sure. Of spiciness. Well, Chris, give us the name of your podcast again. Tell us how we can hear it. Get, get, sure. give us all the info. Uh, we are the Brooker Family Podcast. Uh, you can find it anywhere, uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. So, you know, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. We're also video, too. You can watch us on Apple TV. Uh, I think Spotify has a video program, too. Okay. So you can you can watch us on Spotify, too. And it's fun. We like to talk about pop culture. If you want to know what we are talking about regarding movies, TV, or music, you want to hear my daughter explain something weirdly, we have that, too. So it's I a lot of fun. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service From Hell, why haven't you subscribed, rated, or reviewed the show? Come on. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us at Service From Hell directly here, then send us your receipts to servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thanks for being on, Chris. You totally got Thank it. You. This was so much fun. Yeah, go listen to Chris and his wife and child's podcast. It will be very fun. All right. Thank you folks so much for listening. Good night. Good night.